Nothing on this podcast is intended as legal advice nor does it create an attorney-client relationship. Please be advised that this podcast also contains spoilers and swears. Hello, and welcome to Murder, She Woke, a podcast about fake jewelry and famous recluses. My name is Elizabeth. I'm one of your hosts. And my name is Laura, and I'm another one of your hosts. So, Laura, how's it going? So, Elizabeth, pretty good, you know? I When did we last record? So, we last recorded in March, but I didn't drop the episode until, like, maybe a month ago because I was really bad at editing, and I was embarrassed, and... Our guest star, Katie, thought that it was because she was so bad that we couldn't do the episode. Oh my god, we're back again. So I'm trying to think back to my life in March and see how it's different. And I don't think that it is. Although I did move up in skill level in my tennis clinic group. Ooh, good job. And... I'm not the worst one. Do you get like a black belt or a green belt? Like when you get up in tennis level, like in karate? No, no. Remember those super extra special guest hosts that we had last time and how great she was and how amazing she was? I do. I do remember all of those things. What if I told you she's here today too? Shut up. For realsies. And assuming that we can make it through another season, she has agreed to join us for episodes going forward. So we are now a trio. Yay! That is brand new information to me. I guess that would explain why Katie is here. Yay! I'm here and I've been trying very hard to be quiet, but here I am. So, Katie, how are you doing? I'm good and very happy to be here with you guys. I really did think that I messed up the whole episode and that's why you hadn't released it. And then you did. And I listened to it and I was like, I don't sound that bad. And then you asked me to join. Aww. And that made me feel Yeah, very we special. loved it. Everyone that I talked to loved it. And how how could we not ask you to be a part of something that's so amazing and special? I didn't really know why you didn't ask me from the beginning, but you know, here we are. <laughs> I wasn't sure we were gonna make it like to episode three. Well, I'm very excited. I had a lot of fun recording it and listening to my own voice on the podcast was not as painful as I thought it was going to be. So that's good. Oh, I I can't listen to any. I did listen to our last podcast with you on it, Katie. But other than that, I really don't listen to our podcast because I just can't stand my own voice. It's hard. Yeah, it's hard. I yeah, love the sound of your voice. voice. Oh, thank you. And you, Elizabeth. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Oh, she huh. was talking to me. Okay, that's fine too. Maybe you're a little more used to hearing your own voice recorded than yeah, because I have to do all the editing, so I have to like edit out my own stupid things that I say, which is a lot of them, and then also I have to listen to the whole episode start to finish after I edit to make sure I didn't miss anything. But speaking of things that are not terrible. Do you, ladies, would you like to discuss season two, episode one, Widow Weep for Me? Let's get into it. While we're here. So I'm going to go just a little bit out of order here and say, so for this episode, we are at a Caribbean island, and I think it's, we don't really know the name of this island. I think at some points the name Turtle Bay comes up and I Googled that and Turtle Bay is in Hawaii, but we're clearly not in Hawaii. I got the impression that the island might have been like a former French colony because it had a lot of French names being bandied about. Yes, yes. I did notice the, the French words as well. I did not feel like Googling French Caribbean islands. That seemed like a lot of work and I just you know, wasn't wasn't that involved in it. I don't That's think weird. they were either, so don't worry. We are at this island because Jessica has to go and investigate the death of one of her friends. Now, in the first scene, we see the death of her friend. She's this older woman, and she is in this amazing, I guess it's a house dress, I don't know, but OMG the sequence. There's so many sequins on this 
gown. And at first I thought it was a very extravagant evening gown because she's wearing a whole bunch of jewelry, like necklaces, earrings, rings, and it's very gaudy. But then you see that she's also wearing pants under the gown. But what we see in this scene is that the victim, Jessica's friend, is writing a letter to Jessica. She leaves her hotel suite, goes out to the hallway, and deposits this letter in a mail bin. She comes back to her hotel suite and she's stabbed. And then that is where we go to the Caribbean island. And we notice right away that something is off with Jessica because Jessica steps out of this like stretched Lincoln limo. And she's wearing this amazing gown, but like her head's in a wrap. It's like a, not a turban, but it's a wrap. It is a turban. It is a turban. Yeah. That was actually something that women wore back in the day was like dress turbans. Okay. Well, Jessica's- It's very fancy. Yeah. She's wearing a dress turban. So that's off as well. And then she makes a comment to a bellhop about making sure her luggage doesn't get ruined, which is something that Jessica would never say. And then as she makes her way to the front desk, she introduces herself by the name of Margaret Cantfield from Lincoln, Nebraska. And she continues to act bitchy throughout this whole scene. She bitches about the hotel suite that she's in. She has this interaction with someone who works in some capacity at the hotel. Her name is Miss Montclair. She is a famous movie star. And then Jessica says, well, she was, she isn't Jessica, is not much one for the cinema. So basically, Jessica is undercover. She's, the name she has chosen is a specific name. It's a certain name. So Margaret Cantfield is a famous recluse. I don't know how one becomes famous as a recluse. (laughs) Famous for being a recluse, maybe. She needs anonymity. But people have seen this other... Before Margaret, the real Margaret Cantfield, was a recluse, people had seen her before. I don't know. Maybe Jessica's just assuming so much time has passed that you wouldn't be able to tell the real Margaret Canfield. I don't know how many of those people get to Lincoln, Nebraska, but maybe they just count on most people having heard of her and not actually knowing what she looks like. If it were me, I would make up somebody because that seems like a more plausible way to pull off something than to steal someone's identity. Everybody seems to have big, real money so borrowing like an old money name like that would probably give her some credibility as opposed to who is this person that we've never heard of who thinks that they have as much money as i do sort of thing i don't know but she's wearing a turban she and her her luggage matches instant that never happens uh, affluent credibility for sure yeah only if the turban has a jewel on it which i think this one did it did it was beautiful so we've gone through this first or this other scene where we know jessica is undercover now as a famous recluse and in the next scene she's in in her hotel and she's reading the letter that the victim sent to her and basically it says the ghost of Antoinette is reading the letter to her yes we hear Antoinette's voice as Jessica is reading this letter and the letter basically says I need help I'm in danger I can't leave the island and then all of a sudden this guy is just in her room forever people are just in her room in this right episode. <laughs> right security is lax yes But it's okay because it turns out to be the chief inspector of the island and he knows Jessica. They have spoken on the phone before, so she is not in danger at this point. And Jessica says that she's here to investigate her friend's death, even though the chief inspector told her not to bother. Clearly the motive for the death was robbery or burglary or robbery because the victim had a bunch of jewelry. I would like to say his name is Claude Rens- Rensselaer? Rensselaer, something like that. I just called him Chief Inspector Claude because I couldn't figure out how to say his name. This one was a hard episode for funny names. I did get one in there, okay. but just one. Well, I look forward to it. So Jessica explains that her friend had been a good friend up until she lost her husband a few years ago. And at that point, 
the French just kind of went crazy, kind of started partying, sleeping around, drinking, gambling, really just having a good old time. Like, stop judging here, Jess. She lets the inspector know that she hopes to be a another target of burglary because she's wearing all of these fake jewels. We also learned through just exposition that we really don't have a good suspect suspect as to the killer or the robber. The hotel manager, his name is Eric Brom. He's a charming ladies man. He's very attentive to all the females, but nothing too out of the ordinary with that. And also randomly throws out that there is a school teacher from Iowa here, a young school teacher. Her name is Veronica. We will meet Veronica later. So then Jessica goes down to the casino where we meet Brom, the hotel manager, the ladies' man. She informs him that she only drinks Rothschild 61, and he is to get it if he doesn't already. Are you going for age-appropriate James Bond? Because his introduction is really interesting. Because we see him... He's played by Len Carew. I call him age-appropriate James Bond. He's actually introduced the same way as James Bond is in Dr. No. He's, like, oh. looking over at her. But he's, like, sitting at the at the roulette table uh-huh. in the same way that James Bond, Sean Connery, was sitting at the roulette table in Dr. No, which is the first time we ever meet James Bond. Uh-huh. So... Now, at some point, an alarm goes off, and then Alva starts digging through her purse for some medicine. And I don't know about you guys, but when I, like, when there's an alarm going off and someone's, like, looking through their stuff for their medicine, I automatically think, oh, time to take your birth control. She seemed a little past her birth control years, probably. It was, yeah. She was not looking for her birth control. She was looking for her blood pressure medicine, which she keeps in her change purse with some change and then this key that will become important later. Then a drunk Veronica comes to the table and just starts blabbing about a bunch of stuff that no one cares about spilling her guts about her teaching job and her students and just nobody fucking cares can we stop and appreciate her outfit though can we what she was wearing she was wearing this strapless gown this pink like satin silk strapless gown with this gigantic bow at the front of it Mm -hmm. Do you not remember that? No, because... I wasn't paying attention to the dialogue. I was like, that is a bomb-ass dress. I think I was so annoyed by her. I just couldn't look at her. Well, because she wasn't even just describing her life. She was like, I work at this elementary school at 1234 Elementary School Road. And you walk in the door. And my classroom's the second door on the left across from the bathroom. It was a lot of detail. It was a lot of detail for no reason. And unnecessary. And and she was drunk. And then finally, the little, the handsome guy that she was with takes her away. And we learned that, well, he's just, he's a handsome man that takes her away. And then... We have a, an age-appropriate James Bond Irishman named Michael Herty producing himself to the table. And he asks Jessica to go for a drink with them. And she does. And then they go, I guess, to another place in the hotel. And then they drink pina coladas. And they're just ch- chit-chatting. But then there's this guy at the bar that keeps looking over his shoulder in a weird way and staring at her. So later, the Irishman and Jessica are taking a stroll, and Jessica asks the Irishman about the younger, handsome guy that Veronica was with. His name is Finn. He was an Olympic skier, but now he's just kind of a fuckboy. And then the Irishman makes a comment, Jessica, you're here with me, but you're asking about a younger man. You know, shouldn't I be offended? And Jessica, with just so much... I guess, yes, like confidence says, well, Mr. Irishman, if I wanted to be with that young little fuck boy right now, he would be here with me and I get what I want. So they're getting super duper flirty. And then this guy runs past and steals Jessica purse and the Irishman gives chase. And as they're running, all of a sudden, the creepy guy that was staring at Jessica from the bar comes out of nowhere and knocks the Irishman to the ground. They exchange words. The creepy guy says it was an accident. And then Jessica confronts him and is like, oh, hell no, it wasn't an accident because you 
have been checking me out all night. And she says this weird, like, I've been watching you, watching me, watching me, watching you the whole night. So it comes out that this guy is the hotel security. He's like head of hotel security. His name is Sheldon Greenberg. I've just named him security schmuck. And the reason he's been watching Jessica all night is because he was afraid that a burglary or robbery might happen because Jessica's wearing all of this jewelry. And there has been a string of, of jewel thefts on the island. So he excuses himself to go report the theft of Jessica's purse. Now, the next morning, Jessica calls the chief inspector to see if security schmuck actually reported the theft of her purse, which she had not, which is a little interesting. And she asks about security schmuck's kind of history. Turns out he seems to be on the up and up. He was with the NYPD for 20 years. Then Jessica gets distracted because Veronica's out jogging. So Jessica hangs up with the chief inspector to try and go get some information out of Veronica. Security schmuck Shelley, I guess his name is Sheldon something or other. And he goes by Shelley sort of sometimes. He mentions in passing that he is a New York City police veteran, but that he was never a detective or anything. So it seems that he was just kind of rank and file for, I guess, 20 years. And I don't know much about police, but I imagine if you don't get promoted in a meaningful way in 20 years, you're probably not that good at whatever you're doing. Veronica explains that she won this trip to the island. It was a a trip for one. And Veronica are sitting down, chatting, drinking some iced tea. And she won it on like some kind of supermarket giveaway that she doesn't even remember entering. And she says it's been the trip of a lifetime for her because she's met Sven that she's now in love with. And she also met this really nice lady, the lady that died, which was Jessica's friend. And they got to be very close, but it was a little weird for her because... The first day Veronica got got to the island, this older lady just kind of singled her out and was just like, ah, you're going to be my friend. But then Sven comes along and distracts her and then they go off to scuba. Can I just say that she won a free vacation? How long has she been on this island? Because she was there long enough to get really, really close with Antoinette before Antoinette died and just received the letter from Antoinette and then found out she died and then came down here. This is a really long vacation. And I'm happy for her that that happened, but that's not how vacations work for normal people. I'm just surprised she didn't have to sit through a presentation on timeshares. I feel like that would have like sold it a little bit better. But she's just like, oh, I'm just going to go along with this and go on this mystery vacation by myself. In the next scene, Mr. Haggerty, age-appropriate James Bond, is in... I didn't... For some reason, I didn't recognize him when I was watching it, but it had to have been Eric Brom's office and the manager. And Brom is confronting him because he says there is no Michael Haggerty who is from Ireland and works in the industry, the wine importing industry, alcohol importing industry that you claim to work for. And by the way, you've got about $10,000 in or 10,000 pounds in debt to the casino. So we're going to need to verify that you're good for this money, you fake person. And Mr. Haggerty basically I think he sort of admits that like, yeah, that's probably not my real name, but don't worry, I'm good for the money and shows him a check for $25,000. And I think the check was made out to Eric Brom. Was that right? It was. Yeah. Okay. Which seems like a weird thing. But so I guess he he shows him this check and it's like, you can draw on it as you will. So Mr. Brom is satisfied that fake Mr. Haggerty is going to be able to pay his debts. I don't think that would be enough for me. Yeah, I was thinking if you just found out this guy isn't even using his real name, you just assume that a check is going to be fine. Yeah. Unless it's I a could, cashier's check. I could write you a... That's what I thought I could write was. anybody a check for any amount of money, and it wouldn't mean that the check <laughs> was going to clear. So next scene, Jess is... I guess she's sort of in the lobby area of the hotel, and she sees creepy security guy, Mr. Greenberg, talking to a man in a green striped shirt who I immediately thought looked an awful lot like the purse thief. And they're having a what appears to be a pretty civil conversation. And then the 
purse thief person just goes walking off, obviously not under arrest or anything like that. And Mr. Greenberg, Shelly, goes into his office. So at that point, Jess, I think she goes, she goes and knocks on the door and, and goes into his office and has a seat and fronts him about... I think she confronts him about not having reported the theft to the actual law enforcement and about having a pleasant conversation with the man who robbed her. And so he, in turn, fronts her by slapping a copy of one of her books down on the desk with her picture on the jacket saying, well, you're not the person you said you were either. So, you know, the cat's out of the bag that she is Jessica Fletcher and not the recluse Miss Campfield. And he explains that he had had her purse stolen from her because he suspected who she was, but wanted a look at her passport to prove it. And apparently that's fine. And we're just not going to talk about that again. Do you guys carry stuff like that around on vacation? I would never carry my passport in my purse. Well, yeah. this hotel be getting robbed. So she might have been keeping <laughs> everything on her. Katie, can I interrupt you for one second? And we can put mm-hmm. a pin in this for later. So he stole her purse and they said it was full of cash. Does, and this is something we can discuss later. If you're snatching a purse and you don't know what's in it, do the charges depend upon what's in it? Or... So in this case, if if she had left the money lying around somewhere and he had taken it, the amount of money taken would matter. But this was taken directly from her person in the form of a snatching. So that would be a robbery. And robbery does not, it doesn't matter the value of the property. It could be $1, it could be a million dollars, and it's still going to be 20 years. Wow. Yeah. But my question for that was, There was no intent to deprive. Oh, she was deprived. It doesn't have to be perpetual. I would would say. I would say. I don't think it would have to be permanent deprivation. She was deprived of her property for some period of time, I think. She doesn't seem to mind, though. No. She's like, well, all's well that ends well, you (laughs) crazy man. You could have just asked me, but you didn't. You robbed me and had someone else rob me. She should have just thrown in some barb about no wonder you were never a detective or something like that. Something really shitty to make him feel bad. Because I feel like this persona of Jessica would do that and it would be very funny. Well, and obviously, working as hotel security, he's not charged with protecting anyone's constitutional or civil rights or anything. But that's a weird impulse for a cop to have is if I want to get information, I'm just going to steal it as, you know, when there were other ways to, to do it. Obviously, that's a weird reflex for him to have that may be foreshadowing about some things that will happen later. So they have this confrontation where... He knows who she is, and he has a couple theories on why she's there masquerading as someone else. And his go-to is that she's researching a book because her friend died and she wants to write a book about the incident. Or she's there just to make him look bad. (laughs) Because that's what Jessica Fletcher would do, travel across the world to embarrass you, man she has never heard of. So, and that's about what she says. I don't even know you, so I wouldn't do that. But Jess knows exactly how to handle someone whose ego is that fragile. And she immediately starts to build him up and tells him, well, you're going to solve this crime and I'll probably have to base a character on you and all this sort of stuff. And he's like, yeah, I probably will solve this crime. You're right. So now they're friends because he robbed her and then she complimented him. And so they're friends now. And that was, I guess, basically the end of that. She later has another phone conversation with the inspector and they make plans to meet secretly at Turtle Bay. They want to have an in-person conversation, but she doesn't want to be seen meeting with an investigator because she's still undercover, even though people are starting to figure out who she really is. Where we cut to Eric Brom is in his office and he's dictating a letter to his secretary or assistant. And Miss Myra Montclair sort of storms in and starts complaining about a new guest that's just arrived, a chic 
person who has, I don't know, several wives and a bunch of people with him. And so she's complaining. And so the assistant leaves. And then she says, well, this was all just a ruse so I could get you alone because we're married. We're secretly married. And I just wanted a chance to talk to you because I can't apparently ever do that, even though we are married. So I had to contrive a scenario for us to have a conversation in the middle of the world. They were never really clear on why it was a secret other than like company policy. Yeah, just some vague company rules. We can't be married, which like he's the manager of this place. I don't really know what her job is, but she's a I didn't even understand that she worked there until this moment because she's a former movie star, but now she's working in a hotel and she's not the manager. So she's got a position that's lower than manager at a hotel. Yeah, but it's a hotel where a sheik with six wives and four dozen children come so to many stay. Wives. And if Mrs. Margaret Canfield of Nebraska or Lincoln, Nebraska can travel all the way there, there must be something special. Must be something special. I, I, I should not have shamed her profession. Well, to be fair, if we're going to shame, let's shame the rooms because they don't look like rooms that I would want to stay in if I had that no. much money. Jess is back in her disguise and she is she's she's speaking with the the bellhop doorman person about getting a cab. But of course, Mr. James Bond Haggerty pulls up in his car and is like, oh, no, I will give you a ride. I insist, which I thought it was weird that Jessica agreed to this because she's having a secret rendezvous with a police officer. So getting a ride from one of the people that you're investigating seemed like a weird thing to do. But he was sort of weirdly insistent and you know men can be scary so maybe she felt like she had to to go along with him so they're in the car they're chatting and they go right on by the street to turtle bay so jessica's immediately like we were supposed to turn there where are you taking me let me out of this car men are scary he says well there's there we're being followed and so he starts driving faster and i what i wrote here in my notes in all caps was evasive maneuvers and they're trying to get away from whoever is tailing them in another car. So eventually they lose the tail. They stop the car in another place with a lovely view of the ocean. And they get out of the car and he starts warning her that, that she's in danger. And she's like, what, you know, what are you talking about? He calls her out on being friends with Antoinette. And then it comes, it comes out that he also knows Antoinette, the, the deceased lady. And so they are speaking about her. He refers to Antoinette as being neurotic and twice divorced. Jess says, actually, she's only been married once. And then he tells Jess that Antoinette was really married to a Greenwich poet, but that the marriage was nulled. And Jess counters with to him that that was a secret she never told anyone. And that the man that she had been married to and that marriage was annulled was a man named Leon Savage, I believe. And it was a complete secret. And then Haggerty is surprised that she knows the name. So they're having this back and forth of shocking information to each other about this woman that they clearly both knew to some extent. And that's when Haggerty tells her, I know the reclusive Miss Campfield. I met her years ago and you aren't her. And that's the last note I have before it just says an officer shows up. So I think this was Sergeant Darcy. I guess this was the person who was tailing them that they had lost. And then he shows up. It turns out he's just works with the investigator and was trying to catch Jess before she went to Turtle Bay because there has been another murder and there was no that so the investigator was not going to make their appointment. So I have a complaint about that because we see that car that's following them leave from the hotel. And At the same like, time. Yeah, and it looks yeah. like it had been parked yeah. there for a while, like it was waiting for something. Mm-hmm. So that was really weird. It's possible it was two different cars. It's possible they were being followed and then this this officer just happened to find them too. But you you get the impression it was him the whole time. That was very confusing. I agree. It was kind of kind of strange. So Jess goes back to the hotel and it turns out it was Madame Crane who was murdered. This was the lady that Jess was sitting next to at the roulette table who had to take her blood pressure medication. She seemed like a pretty nice old broad. And she has been murdered. Her 
room has been ransacked and her jewels have been stolen. I believe it said that it was the same sort of forced entry as the other murder and that she was stabbed in bed. You could see the bed and there was no blood there. So they must have <laughs> taken the bloody sheets and then remade the bed and then messed it up again. As though <laughs> someone had been sleeping in it because that's exactly what it looked like. Or maybe somebody got tired and decided they wanted a nap. Like, this investigation is taking forever. I didn't get <laughs> my nap earlier. I'm just going to lie down in this crime scene and it'll be fine. Of course, the inspector is convinced that the motive for this killing was obviously robbery because all of her jewels were stolen and it fits the M.O. of the other crimes. So obviously Antoinette was murdered and her jewels were taken, but there was another attempt. There was another robbery and attempted murder that had happened before the attack on Antoinette. Luckily that person escaped with their life and was not stabbed to death, but the MO of all of these crimes seems to match as far as the forced entry and the stolen jewels and the attempted or actual stabbing. Well, Jess says, actually, I don't think the robbery was the motive because I sat next to Madame Crane at the roulette table and her jewels were all fake. She says they were paste, which is not an expression I have heard for fake jewelry before. But she says that they were fake and paste. And so obviously robbery could not have been the motive because someone who is familiar enough with jewelry to be a jewel thief would know better than to steal fake jewels. The inspector disagrees. And then they said, well, if all of the jewels she was wearing were fake and she's really as wealthy as we think she is, then she must have jewels somewhere. So they decide to go check the safe deposit box with the hotel because apparently instead of having safes in your hotel room, you give all your valuables to the security guy and he keeps all your stuff in a safe deposit box like you would at the bank. And that's what that key was that was in her coin purse. And they find her key sitting on the dresser, I think, in her room. So then they go check her. They're talking to Shelly in the office where he has all the safe deposit boxes in his desk. This is the same office we were in earlier. They open her safe deposit box and inside they find her passport and a $1,000 in cash. And that's basically it. There are no jewels in there. Greenberg, he's, I think he says that her jewels, did he say that her jewels were real? I'm bad at notes. He said it was fake and they were kind of talking about, they just used the term financially embarrassed. Does Shelly think that she was a poor and she was just being fake? Because it got yeah. a little bit later that she was actually like rich as fuck. Right. So I yeah, that, that's how it guys went. Confused. I know. They're so, so bland and so white. So, but yeah, I think that's exactly what happened is just, just saying to him, I'm positive the jewels she was wearing were fake. And what he offers by way of explanation is maybe she had come upon hard times and she was selling her jewels in order to maintain her lifestyle so she would be embarrassed. So that's why she's wearing fake jewels. He also says that Jess's jewels are fake. And I thought that was rude. That was very rude. Can I ask a logistical question? If literally everybody can tell that jewels are fake, then why even wear the fake fucking jewel? I can't tell if jewels are fake. So <laughs> you can wear all the fake jewels you want to in front of me and I will be incredibly impressed. Yeah, but you're not paying a million dollars to stay at this fancy ass resort that apparently has a long history of crime and people keep going to it. Well, no, and Jess's whole theory at this point is, well, if she she was wearing fake jewels, she must have had her real jewels in the safe deposit box. Well, then, yeah, what's the point? What's the point of that? Just don't wear jewels if they're too precious to, to have, I don't know, rich people, rich people problems. I don't know. Should get a bodyguard to follow her around like they yes, do in the movies. Yes, like people do at the Oscars and stuff when they're wearing yeah. crazy or, I don't know, in the way they did in that one Oceans movie that with all the girls in it. <laughs> or maybe invest a little bit more money and some better fake jewels. Yeah, that might be the thing. But they didn't ask us, did they? No. No. No, they didn't. In any event, so they have all this conversation about the jewels and... They don't really get any resolution there, but there were no jewels in the safe deposit box. So the robbery apparently must have been the motive. 
in the next scene, Jess meets Mr. Eric Braun at the, this looks like the same area where she'd been talking to Veronica earlier around this little tiki bar outside. And now he knows who she is. At some point, he must have figured it out or somebody told him that she is, in fact, Jessica Fletcher. And at that point, Jess asks him about his jewels and her wealth. And he says, well, no, she was wealthy. She was not selling she couldn't have been selling off jewels because she was too broke he says that her holdings are worth millions and her checks were good so i don't know how he knows about her personal financial holdings but the checks have been clearing but at the same time mr braun does not wait to find out if the checks clear before he decides that someone has got the money because fake mr haggerty Gave him a check for $25,000 and he's just taking it at face value. I don't think rich people are living by the same rules the rest of us are. Because if I went into anywhere and was expecting someone to front me $10,000 to gamble in a casino, I bet I would I would have my fingerprints taken. I would have guards following me around. I would have credit checks. You would take one of your kidneys as a deposit and you would get it back when you were done. After I fronted the cost for both operations, no doubt. And the ice. So now Jess is, (laughs) yes, the ice to keep the kidneys on for sure. So Jess is back in her room and she's obviously looking for something. Mr. Haggerty just creeps up behind her holding a bunch of letters, which is obviously what Jess was looking for. For the second time, someone is just inexplicably in Jess's room without knocking or us hearing the door. And so she's angry. She's angry with him at this point about the scary car ride that he took her on. I mean, he basically kidnapped her earlier today. They got over that. And now he's sneaking into her room and taking her letters. She picks up the phone to call the police and he hangs up the phone, which is fearing with a 911 call, which is a crime as well. Let me just start writing down all the crimes. And and so he he kind of comes out and says, all right, I'll tell you who I am. And he says that he knows Antoinette's father through the wine business. He's still not being completely upfront. But that they can't talk about it anymore in the hotel for reasons that are not explained. I guess he's worried about eavesdroppers. People sneaking into people's rooms. Well, apparently there is a major (laughs) security issue here. People are getting robbed. People are getting murdered. Letters are being stolen. There are no there are no locks on any of these doors. It's just it's just a free for all in this place. Just one big communal living space, I guess madness so we and we being age appropriate james bond and jessica are on a golf course and they are having a talk about this woman antoinette and apparently antoinette was married to that poet guy and her father was real mad about it so he got it annulled i'm not quite sure how one does that when one is not a party to the marriage but hey nobody asked me money well, the one thing I've learned from this episode is that rich people don't have the same rules that the rest of us do. I get not liking the guy. Seriously. I get that. But there was a child born six months after the marriage was annulled. And the dad was straight up, get rid of that thing or you're not getting any inheritance. How shitty do you have to be of a person to throw out a child, like a baby, and say, you know, get rid of that or you're getting disinherited? I also don't know how you get a marriage annulled when it's there's so much obvious consummation of the marriage. That was my other question, because obviously something happened and I don't know the rules for annulment, but I'm pretty sure having sex is part of that equation somehow. But anyway, she made he made the father made her put up for the kid up for adoption and now he's old and dying and he's remorseful and he wants he's trying to hunt down the the daughter or the the granddaughter and they figure out because it's the only young person on the island it's Veronica Harold drunk Diana from Davenport Iowa one part of Iowa might be more or less the same as another part of Iowa. I've never been to Iowa and I love our Iowan listeners. Surprise, it's Veronica Harold. And suddenly he starts spilling the beans on being a secret agent, which I didn't understand because he's supposedly working for Antoinette's father, but he's attached to MI5. 
So I'm a little bit confused about what he's like. Is he like a... I think he's previous. Is he still attached to MI5 or was he like... He was, but then, you know, spoiler alert, we see him later in the series and he's doing like secret agent work again. I think he's just like a contractor for MI5. Yeah, that could be it. He's like a private investigator slash literal spy contractor because you know what they just they're any excuse not to give people their exactly benefits and stuff like that like we don't want to pay for this guy's pension it because it's in britain so it'll be a pension we're not paying for that so he can just work as a contractor yeah that's right so he starts spilling the beans and they mentioned that antoinette was trying to reconcile or trying to build a bridge with her daughter when she got all murdered and stuff and so this leads us to a question about sven the olympic skier slash international fuckboy they kind of bat around the idea that sven is after veronica because she's set to inherit all of this money And this is something that the episode goes back and forth on and is really gets in my craw is about her inheriting because in one sense, it seems like it's just automatic. And then in another scene, she has to like, you know, meet with her grandfather and stuff because, but it's always presumed that she's going to inherit money, which is wrong. And then suddenly Jessica hears that Veronica ditched her to go to the marina to go scuba diving. Jay Fletch and and uh, Michael Haggerty get thee to a marina. And Jessica mentions that some of Antoinette's letters came from ski resorts. And she, in this letter, had mentioned that she met a dude and told him stuff. And since there's only one fuckboy skier in, in the whole world, it must have been Sven. So they make that connection, which is, it's fair. She accuses him and then she makes this comment, which I was not a fan of, where she refers to drunk Diana as a simple school teacher. There are other ways to say that. It's like this man would never be interested in her because she's not rich. That might be true, but you don't have to like put her down while you're saying that. And it seemed like, like, oh, you know, this idiot never has never left Davenport, Iowa. So why would this international fuckboy want anything to do with her? Fair question. But don't make her look like shit while you're doing it. Right. And this is where I get really confused about the timeline. Because it appears that Antoinette's still alive. Veronica gets there. And then Sven gets there. And then Sven starts, like, courting Veronica while Antoinette is watching and she's real cheesed about it. And she mentions that she was afraid. And so I think the speculation is that she was afraid of Sven. And But they said she couldn't leave the island. Why couldn't she leave the island? Did she lose her passport? Because, you know, she was carrying it around in her purse and it got stolen. I guess I got the impression she couldn't leave the island because she was worried to leave Veronica alone with like her presence there was going to make a difference. But I don't see how that was going to happen if she didn't confront them with with that information and be like, hey, you should not. I slept with that guy and you're my daughter, so you should not sleep with that guy because that's creepy. But if she wasn't going to have that conversation, I don't know what difference that made. But that was that was how I interpreted it. Is she just going to show up and like cock block him at every opportunity and like third wheel herself She's on gonna all the She's going to show dates? up at the wedding. And when the preacher asked, like, does anyone here object to this? She was going to be like, I fucked your fiance, daughter. Uh. And it was going to be it was going to be a nice moment for everyone at the wedding. They go to the marina and Sven and Veronica are on the boat. They're getting married tomorrow morning. Oh, my God. But then she starts accusing him about Antoinette and Sven decides to run away and for about a second it looks like they're gonna have a really awesome chase across like a bunch of boats and I would have totally been there for that but they don't do that they just jump in the water and like what is he gonna try to swim away and then Michael Haggerty brave hero jumps in after which I didn't understand the point of either so, like where's he going where's he going is he yeah. just gonna swim he's gonna swim to Cuba well and then I was like this Olympic athlete jumps into the water like he's going to swim away. And this age appropriate James Bond fellow jumps in after him. I feel like the Olympian could probably have gotten away if he'd wanted to. But he just grabs him by the back of his shirt. And is like, I got you. And that's the end of it. 
we go to the police station, I guess, where Sven is playing dumb for Inspector Claude. And he admits to knowing about Veronica and kind of owns up to the idea that he was just after her for her money. So Veronica is all sad face about the Sven thing, which I totally understand. And Jess is trying to be a comfort panda. And they're talking about how, you know, Sven is... He sucks and he's probably responsible for all these robberies slash murders. And Veronica makes the point that he actually wasn't on the island for one of the robberies, the first one, the one that didn't result in the murder. And he was in California. So they eliminate him as a suspect. And then we get to back to the security office where Inspector Douchebag, or not Inspector Douchebag, what was his name? Security Schmuck? Shelly? Shelly. Yeah, Security Schmuck. He's being really cagey with Jessica and Veronica, but he's also, like, really confident about something. We go to Eric Brom's office. He's talking to the insurance guy about Alba's jewels, which were apparently worth $800,000, and they were real. Jessica starts accusing Eric Brom of the thing because he was basically a gold digger and he always sucked up to the ladies. And then suddenly, you know, Myrna sneaks in and says, oh, it wasn't him because we were fucking. <laughs> How does she say it? It was weird. She says he was sharing both my bed and my affection. <laughs> it's so gross. It's so gross. And she didn't just say that. She like said that like with her arms on him and looking at him like we were yeah. sharing affection. And she just decided to like blow up both their careers right there. I guess she thought he was a murder suspect. So that seems like the moment to out with it, I suppose. Yeah, that's true. But I feel like, I don't know, maybe be a little... I mean, you could have talked about it first. Yeah. Somebody makes a comment about money being the key and Jessica has an aha moment. And then at some point it's mentioned in passing that Brom has canned Shelley because he sucks. And that is what we see in the next scene, which is... Shelly cleaning out his office, Jess stops by and starts asking him a bunch of questions about keys. And apparently he has a master key to all the safe deposit boxes. But at the same time, her key was not in her little change purse whenever they found her body. So I think with the safe, de- the way it works at the safe, like banks and stuff oh. is there's a master key and then you have to have another key to open it. So like, Someone from the bank, and then you have to, like, put the keys in simultaneously. Okay, that makes sense, because I was confused about why her key mattered at all. If right, had like, a if you key. had the master key. But so, like, in, in the real world, if I had a safe deposit box, which I don't, because I don't mm-hmm. have anything important to put in one. But if I did, and I, my house burned down, and my key was destroyed, that I just never get to open that box again. Like, it's just lost to me forever. So I I did have a safe deposit box at Fancy. one point. The thing that was in it was mostly of sentimental value. And I don't know why I got it. But all I remember is I didn't have my key and they just verified, like, who I was. Like, through because I, I had an account at the bank and, you know, they looked at, like, ID and made sure. And- my only experience of safe deposit box is heist movies. So I assume that... People only have them to put their extra diamonds in. Just the diamonds they're not using right now. The extra diamonds go in the safe deposit box. I'm wearing all my fake diamonds. So I put all my real ones in the box. So turns out it was a fucking robbery. Plot twist. What? It's never a robbery. It was a robbery all along. It was a robbery all along because Shelly was the one doing the robbery and there's some long winded explanation how the jewels were real because the insurance guy was there but the jewels she was wearing were fake so there had to have been real jewels somewhere. They're probably the safe deposit box but that was empty so the only person who got into it was Shelly. Da-da. That was a very long walk. Mm-hmm. But we got there. So he had he had to kill her 
to get no i well i think he killed her just so no one would know that her jewels had been taken from the safe never mind i don't know oh yeah no i think you're this is a this this episode is shelly was not a good there's so many holes he was not a good cop he wrote a desk for 20 years He, he he's a bad he's a bad criminal too probably good cops make good criminals i'm gonna say that that might be true He's not a good criminal because he reaches for this gun and all of a sudden age-appropriate James Bond bursts in with like fistfuls of jewels and shows it to him and says, these are Alva Crane's jewels that we found in your luggage. You know, they're going to match even though they're not out of their, they're out of their How did he get him out of the... Stop pointing out all the holes in this. Sorry. Wait, hold on. The schmuck killed Alva to get the key. So he could open the safe deposit box where the real jewels were. But then when he killed Antoinette, it was because she was actually wearing the real jewels. I don't know. I can't. I think there's no, I think we're supposed to assume Antoinette had her real jewels. At least there's no indication otherwise. So he didn't need her key. Can't leave witnesses. Yeah. Witnesses yeah. leave bad reviews. It's That's true. It seems like he could have not killed her and just faked a robbery of the or a burglary of like all the safe deposit boxes. Oh my god! What? Just fake one right. massive robbery of the safe deposit boxes. No one has to die. I mean, he would be the prime suspect yeah. in that, but I feel like a little bit of thought could get him around that as opposed to multiple robberies and yeah. multiple murders. Well, plus, doesn't every murder kind of decrease the likelihood that people will show up? Apparently not. Okay, so if I didn't live there, why would she travel with the real jewels and wear the fake jewels just to travel? Or did she live there? Because... I thought it was just like a resort place. I guess she could have lived there. I don't know. That's my answer for everything. I don't know. But yeah, leave them at home home if you're just going to travel internationally and lock them in a safe. (laughs) I guess her house at home could get burgled too, but she could leave them at a safe deposit box at a bank that doesn't employ murderers. I don't know. I guess murderers could work anywhere. There's a, a final scene where Veronica wearing the ugliest dress I think I've ever seen like in ever is talking about she's nervous about meeting her grandfather and obviously if somebody like decided that they didn't want me as an infant and basically tossed me out i would be nervous too Haggerty says like three times like oh he's Uh mellowed he's mellowed now he's not a a baby hating disowning jerk face (laughs) anymore he's really mellowed out in his old age which I think is probably code for he's Mm. senile now and he loves everyone and will give you all of his money but he was smart enough to hire a secret agent to track her down and I don't know anyway Jess and age appropriate James Bond start like kind of coyly talking about visiting and they sort of agree that he's going to come see her and that's the end of the episode Sven fuckboy Sven what happens with him is that so at some point he's fucking around with Antoinette and Antoinette reveals that she had a daughter that she had to give up because if she didn't then her father would disinherit her And then a few weeks later, Finn is like, I guess, back on the same island and sees that Antoinette has gotten real close with just this this young lady, this new guest. And somehow we are supposed to believe that fuckboys Finn put it together that this is, this Veronica is Antoinette's daughter. That's a really, really big leap that I just... I guess it depends on whether or not Sven knew that she won a, I guess, month-long vacation for one that she didn't enter into because that is so contrived that that might have been a tip-off. All he sees is like, oh, this old lady that I used to fuck around with. Oh, now she's hanging out with this young, this young girl. Oh, that must be her daughter that she was forced to give away? That's just a really big leap. I'm not buying that. Was Haggerty there at the same time Antoinette was? So she contrived the situation to meet her daughter. How did her father know about that? Had they talked about it beforehand? Antoinette's father was the one that contacted Haggerty and was like, hey man, I'm about to die. I'd love to meet my granddaughter. Why don't you figure all this out for me? 
why is Michael Haggerty being all like, why didn't he ever tell Veronica why he was there in the first place was to get them connected just because he was also investigating this murder on the side was he investigating the murder on the side he gets a free vacation on so why rush so why rush probably just enjoying the pool Mm -hmm. and meeting some nice ladies and maybe yeah he's riding that per diem as far as he can take it okay all right that makes sense to me working class guy in terms of legal issues the one thing that i thought was interesting that i know i kept bringing up was the inheritance issue and at certain points it was unclear about how exactly that was supposed to work. I think there were a lot of assumptions that Antoinette was the only heir of rich grandpa and she would inherit everything under the, the will or the estate plan. And since Antoinette died, therefore Veronica would inherit everything. And that's why Sven... Fuckboy Sven was like, oh, let me get in on this. She about to be rich. But assuming that A, there are no other heirs, and B, we don't know what his estate plan looked like. It could say, if so-and-so, if my daughter predeceases me, then it goes to my stupid nephew over there. And that kind of thing. He could be assuming that if Antoinette, and by extension her father, are reaching out trying to reconnect with the granddaughter... If that can happen before he dies, that regardless of whether she was in the will before, she might be now. So I think there's just an assumption that marrying the relative of a wealthy person is often a good financial decision. It's emphasized in the state planning that, and family law, I guess, that whenever a child is adopted, then they basically sever their connection to their old family. Meaning like if there was a situation with intestate succession, she wouldn't qualify as Antoinette's heir. They were thinking was Antoinette's dead now. So of course she's going to be the heir because, you know, that makes sense. That's a pretty big assumption. Of course she could be. We, we don't know, but like they don't mention a will or anything. Yeah, but she's not even technically the heir because she's been adopted. I'm curious about what you came up with, Katie, in terms of crime you said you were making a list of crimes and i would love to hear them i made so many lists of so many crimes robbery is taking of another person from their immediate presence jessica was robbed when that man snatched her purse and possibly antoinette was robbed although it sounds like she was murdered first and i guess you can't rob a dead person maybe everyone was robbed except for alma Alma's actual valuable property was taken from her safe deposit box. So that's not a robbery, technically. These things may have been robberies, but they were also burglaries. A burglary is when you break into a place or stay somewhere you're not supposed to be with the intent to commit a theft or felony therein. And so these may be simultaneous robberies slash burglaries. But usually when you think of a breaking and entering situation, you're not thinking of a robbery. You're thinking of a burglary. What's the difference in terms of impact? In Georgia specifically, which all I know is Georgia. The difference, nothing, because burglary and robbery, which are types of theft-related crimes that do not depend on the value of the being stolen, they both carry 20-year maximum sentences. Now, armed robbery, which is a type of robbery, armed robbery, in Georgia at least, carries a minimum 10 years that's not pullable a terrible thing to be convicted of wow i did not know that yeah it's incredibly harsh and if you've got a prior you can actually get a life sentence in georgia on an armed robbery and if you've got one prior felony conviction you'd be sentenced as a recidivist and that would be an automatic life sentence which is also terrible we've got simultaneous burglaries and robberies happening burglary and robbery were probably more different in common law Burglary might have been the more serious crime. In common law, burglary could only happen at night, and that made it more scary because someone was breaking and entering a a dwelling specifically at night, which is inherently terrifying if you were at home. But it didn't matter if anyone's at home. As long as it happened at night, it could be a burglary. But we don't make that daytime-nighttime distinction anymore. And if you are home, when a burglary happens, it can also be charged as a home invasion. Oh, I didn't realize... I did not realize that that was... It's own crime. Right. You just call it a home engine yeah. when what you're talking about is a burglary when everyone yeah. is at home, which you uh-huh. could, 
both things, both are, both crimes exist. We've got Jessica and her robbery by sudden snatching. We've got these armed robberies, possibly because a knife was used, although I think they were killed before they were robbed. So it would just be a murder plus a burglary and possibly not a robbery. And so, but also murder, the, the murders would be the most, the most serious charges there. And he's a former police officer, so he's not going to have a great time in prison. So I'm curious now from more of a civil aspect, could the phase of the murder victim, well, I get mean, can they sue? Yes. Are they likely to prevail on any theory of negligent hiring, negligent retention for security guard or yeah, security guard schmuck? Because he all of this access as his employment allowed. So is there is the hotel culpable at all? I would say yes. And but I say I say that because in a situation, I'm not sure that it would qualify as negligent hiring unless there was something in his background that that jumped. Like if he had multiple domestic violence charges or if he had been kicked off the force for fudging overtime. But it's... like in terms of negligent retention, the idea being that the hotel is culpable for his actions under the theory of respondeat superior. And they're also negligent for hiring him. So by the transitive property and also directly, because they didn't, they didn't like, he's doing a absolutely like fucking garbage job. I'm also going to say the hotel is liable because he just keeps walking up in everyone's rooms and nobody seems to have a problem with that. And like, there's no locks on the doors. They've got security boxes. That's fine. But people just keep traipsing through Jessica's room. So there are other security problems at this hotel. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you can make a probably very colorable claim that they were responsible for his, well, A, Shelly's actions and B, like just him just being garbage though wrongful death is the cause of action they like indirectly responsible for that there's a little bit of a difference between responding at superior when it's an intentional tort versus a a negligent action Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. negligent action yeah and and i think in the cases when it's an intentional tort the agency so in this case the hotel is less likely to be responsible So, did you guys like this episode? No. Really? I can't follow the logic. I I don't know what's going on. I don't know why people have made certain decisions. I don't know why Jessica, whose face is plastered on presumably hundreds of thousands, if not millions of books, thinks she can pass as a famous recluse. A, what the fuck is a famous recluse? I still don't understand and I still don't, I still don't buy that. If you were really, really super famous 50 years ago, I still think like really, really super famous. I still think people would know who you were. That's fair. I think that's fair. Or maybe not even know who you were, but know that somebody isn't you. She didn't become famous for being a recluse, right? Like she was famous for something. No, I see. I I don't know. But- that made sense to me. I don't Maybe know. Maybe she was just famous for being like a rich society right. fancy. Like lady. someone who was a like some sort of debutante society person who sort of like broke with tradition and instead of doing all the fancy rich people stuff became a recluse. I don't know. Yeah, see, I'm still it not reminds buying. Me of something that would have happened in like Victorian Britain or something like that. This episode just has more holes than like Swiss cheese. I'm just. I'm not on board with it. Uh, I kind of have to agree. I didn't care about the murder, right? Like, we only saw Alva, like, she was a badass, but she was just kind of introduced, like, to be killed off. And that made me a little bit sad because I would have liked more of her because she was fucking cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I liked her character. She was in one scene, and then the first dead lady, we knew nothing about. I didn't have an attachment to these dead people, where, in, and in most cases, like, the, isn't it like the dead people are kind of, like, shitholes anyway? That's true. Both of these people seem like generally pretty nice folks. I really liked Al McCrane in the one very short scene we had with her. Give me more of this lady. She seems feisty and fun, and as far as I know, her jewelry's real, so I'm here for it. She looked classy, but she kind of talked a little 
a little roughly. And I, I guess I really, she was probably the character I related to most. Yeah. I give it four and a half asterisks. I liked this episode. I think the reason I liked it was maybe because the victims were sort of likable, which isn't usually the situation. So even though we didn't know them very well, but I also just really love the irony that just showed up and was wrong. And I hate for my first regular appearance on the show to be celebrating just being wrong. But I kind of like that, that twist. She said the motive here was absolutely not robbery because an ordinary mundane robbery murder could not to my friend but that's exactly what happened that's how most crime is it's not some big secret plot it's just the the normal day-to-day greed or jealousy or whatever that's what that's what causes most crime so i kind of appreciated that twist about it and it's on location we've got the beach we've got a, a guy who used to be a spy that's exciting so i would give it what it would we do 10 ashtrays is that the max yeah i'll give it i'll give it six and a half ashtrays okay i can respect that but i agree with your critiques i agree with your critiques those were all fair but it was also fun i think that both of you are right and i'm gonna give it five and a half because it was slightly more good than bad but not by much like the good things slightly outweighed the the bad parts but just just by a hair but did you guys find yourselves golden grady i did i did who did you come up with veronica no (laughs) yeah can we have a lady be a golden grady because she is oh hell yeah absolutely she won a sweepstakes that she didn't enter for a completely sus one person vacation for like a month and she's not suspicious about any of this she's just like yep i i won this completely inexplicable thing i'm going on a trip oops i'm an s what happened i'm gonna marry this guy i met two weeks ago we're getting married tomorrow don't know him i don't i don't know anything about him but we're gonna get married oops jessica saved me from making a terrible mistake thank goodness i've just stumbled into being a bajillionaire i think she's the golden grady no, I like that. And and once I hear your argument, I, I agree that your Golden Grady is probably better than mine. But I had to give it to Fuckboys because he's just kind of fucking his way to the a bunch of different countries. Yeah. And and I don't think that our actual Grady would, you know, fuck his way to the top. But he would. I mean, he is fig- a man. Figuratively fucking his way to the top. And He then, is a man, Laura. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but fuckboy spends over here just, you know, just doing it and getting it done. I gave it to age-appropriate James Bond because he just seemed like what an unformed person's version of a spy was. I'm going to be James Bond, but in this show. And it just seems so kind of silly, honestly. Yeah, like he was definitely trying to be James Bond. Do you guys want to talk very briefly about next episode? So, according to, this is season two, episode two, Joshua Peabody died here, dot, 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 possibly. And the episode synopsis is, a cheap tycoon with many enemies is found dead on the construction site of his high-rise hotel. Or did he? Just based on the title. He may have been a, a signer on the Declaration of Independence. His handwriting was just so bad, nobody could read it. This will be my first Cabot Cove okay. episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. Rate, review, and subscribe. And remember... Stay. Stay. (laughs) We're really bad at this. No. No, it has to be that one. Oh, whoa. That's fine. Yeah, we'll, we'll practice that for next time.